The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone. My name is Daryl, and this is the class that will cover intro to personal finance and investing. Um, I have been um, professionally investing for a little over 20 years. I have taught several classes, although all the individuals in those classes were cited. So there are a few things that I did not teach to them that I may cover in this class, such as, for instance, an ABLE account, uh, which some of you might be interested in. Um, I have tutored and taught individuals for many decades uh, to different depth levels. Uh, my youngest client was about 18. My oldest was 88. Um, before that, I was a regular investor, uh, 401k, that kind of thing, 401, 403. And before that, I guess my first investing days, so to speak, before securities and bonds were back in the days of CDs. That was long ago, if, if you older guys remember high interest rates. That is my background on investing. Uh, things have greatly changed in the industry, even over the last 20 years. Um, back 20 plus years ago, there used to be things that would be called buying even or odd lots. And if some of you guys say, I have no idea what that is. Well, that's good because that all went away. Um, shares, um, when you buy a company, that's called shares. Uh, that used to be done in fractions. That went away. Uh, now it's done in pennies. There are dozens of changes to make things extremely easy today. For instance, when I started, um, you had to have larger sums of money to invest. Now that is not the case. You literally can start as low as $1 of investing for most situations. Um, that's a little tip of the iceberg as, as far as investing goes. Um, before that, I'll try to cover some basic um, savings, some basic personal finance. But really, what I'd like to gauge is the level of what you guys would want, what interests you and um, where you would like to see the class go. Um, one of the things also, and maybe I should mention it later in the class, but I can mention it now, is if you have a question and you do not get to ask it, whether it be today's session or the next session or any session, you can email community at acb.org and simply ask the question or mention 
a topic and say, hey, forward this to Daryl. You know, this is what I want to hear or this is what I want to ask, because sometimes I might be able to write a question better than I can phrase it. So if you're that way, then please feel free. That is always an option. And uh, I will either try to cover it in the following session or sometime. Now, if you ask a very complicated thing, I might have to cover a few basics before we get there, but I will definitely try to hit that at some point. Um, right now, the schedule is once a month on, I guess, the third Saturday of the month. If I find that everybody's really interested in this topic, we can always increase the frequency. So um, are there any questions, thoughts, suggestions, or anything else at the moment? Brandy, go ahead. Hi, my name is Brandy Brandy. Oh, I'm sorry, Brandy. Uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, so I I am very interested in investing, but I am so I'm a baby, like I'm an infant, a newborn when it comes to investing. I know next to nothing. So this is really fascinating to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely on board for learning about investing and saving, of course. Sure. Sure. And 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 by the way, everybody starts at zero. Yeah. Um, I've had people be embarrassed and they would ask me a question and they would say, well, I don't know these things. Everybody starts pretty much at the same level of not knowing anything. I've had people say, well, they didn't teach us any of this in school. Most schools do not. There you are. Um, so like I say, I've <laughs> worked with people from in their teens all the way to their late 80s. So thank you, Brandy. Yeah. Hey, that's all your hands for now. Okay. Um, well. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody just um, area code 617. Ending in 839. You can unmute and tell Hi, us who you are, please. Very from Boston, and Rose my question, how are you? Um, and my question is about Roth IRAs and um, Roth um, or investments in general with Roth IRAs. Um, is it best to do a Roth IRA, RA or a 401k? That's my question. So when you get to that point, I guess you're going to be talking about that, but when you get to that, that's my question. Sure. Um Depending on now, that's a little bit advanced. It's not too advanced, but depending on the level of of uh, hands, I could go over that. By the way, a four, there are two types of four hundred one k, a traditional four hundred one k and a Roth four hundred one k. Now, both of those you have to be employed with a company, okay. A Roth, whether it be a 401 or a Roth IRA, those, uh, the money that you put into that has already been taxed. Okay. So now, once it's in a Roth, whether it be 401 or Roth IRA, 
the money is taxed, so you don't get a tax deduction on the front end. But once the money is in the account, it grows tax-free, it is withdrawn tax-free, and there is not what is called an RMD, required minimum distribution, at age 72 or three. And of course, Congress is currently changing this from year to year. But in your 70s, if you have a traditional IRA, a rollover IRA, a traditional 401, um, a 403B, a 457, all of those, the government will force you to start withdrawing at a certain age. Now, all of those are what's considered pre-tax. That means you get to put the money in, it lowers your current tax, but then as the money grows, once you pull it out, you pay taxes on all the money put in and all the growth. Now, to address the question of which one is better, you technically can do both a work, uh, a workplace such as a 401k, either, either variety, Roth or traditional. And on top of that, you can do a Roth IRA or traditional IRA. Does that answer the question? That's a lot of information and somewhat yes and no. It's okay. Kind of it's a little okay. confusing, but it makes sense to some okay. degree. As far as uh, if you just want, well, what's the best? It's really just, for instance, IRAs this year have a, if you're under 50, they have a limit of $6,000. If you are 50 or older, IRAs have a limit of $7,000. 401s, whether it be traditional or Roth, have a limit of $30,000 this year and each year go up. Uh, I'm sorry, it's $22,500 for under 50 and 50 and older is an extra catch up, $7,500, so a total of $30,000. So technically, if you add the income, you could, and you're, let's say, 50 or older, you could do 30 in either version of a 401, and on top of that, 7000 on the IRA. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay. And right. by the way, guys, if, if I... If I give an answer and it sounds confusing or complicated, go ahead and ask another question. Say, okay, wait a minute, explain this part or explain another part. Thank hey, you. For next that Thank you, Rosemary. Your next hand is Diane Scalzi. Diane. Yeah, okay. Um <laughs> Of course, I've, I've been retired, so, you know, a lot of our stuff that we were doing investing-wise, you know, we've already done and we're taking it out now. But um, uh -huh. <laughs> and, Yes, I another, just mentioned to the audience about the RMDs. Yeah, yep, yep, we're, and they seem to be, they're, they seem to be upping it every year, which is interesting to me. But anyway, um, also, when I was in ninth grade and in, in High school, 
I had a class called Intro to Business, which everyone else hated but me. And we learned about a little bit about the stock market and about credit and about, um, uh, you know, interest and, you know, all, all the different things that, that we needed to know about as adults. We learned it. So um, at least we started learning it. Um, so I guess my question, I, I just want to make the comment that I, I like what you're um, doing here. And um, is this going to be a regular call? Um, that is my hope. Um, it is currently set up for once a month because I did not know the level of interest or participation. I was told by the uh, ACB organizers that we can increase the frequency if there's, you know, more interest or, or, you know, more, uh, more more desire for the class so really i could have chosen a month or bi-monthly or whatever and i just chose once a month okay because th this is the kind of stuff that keeps changing all the time and i think yes. you would never stop learning about it so um i hope that um uh, you know i'm sure i if if i tune in i'll even still learn stuff even though i've been retired since 2010 so yes i i appreciate yes. what you're doing well thank thank you uh yes and and like i say if feel free to uh recommend anyone you know through the acb group uh to come and ask questions because the more the merrier thank you you're welcome and thanks sheila uh-huh all right, your next is Anne. Anne. Hear me. Hello, Anne. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we can. Oh, okay, good. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but and you may not know the answer to this, but do do you think they will ever take social security away from seniors? You know, that is a superb question. And, you know, I didn't even Good. think about it before, but let me tell you uh, some of the things. Right now, they say, well, uh, there's, you know, the trust fund will run out in, let's say, 2034. Okay. And Medicare might run out in, I think it's 2027 or 28. Now, Keep in mind that the trust fund is different than what you actually receive. A lot we of paid people, into it. Yes, that is correct. Um, but the trust fund, what okay, basically, what this was set up as known in the government circles as a paygo. That means literally the money you paid in did not go, let's say, into, a, into an account for you, but it went to pay your parents' generation or your grandparents. Just like, let's say, for somebody who's retired now, anybody paying in now, they are paying for somebody who is retired. Now, the current income versus outflow is roughly about 76 to 78%. It's only that 23% that the extra money 
mainly when the baby boomers were working, et cetera, they were contributing more, and that created an extra cushion known as the trust fund. That's the thing that they're saying, well, if if Congress doesn't do anything, that thing will run out in, you know, 2034. And like I say, depending on who you ask, it can be 2032, 2034. We had a similar problem back in, I believe it was 1981. And I think it was it. The problem went almost up to the very door before Congress fixed it. The probability of that happening here is very high, but they will probably wait till the last minute to fix it. Now, if you're saying, well, let's say I'm a senior, I'm 65 or 60 or whatever. Do you think they will take it away from me? It is only a guess more than likely your benefits would not be reduced at all. It would probably be younger generations. Let's say as an example, they might come out with a rule and say, okay, if you're 50 years or younger, instead of retiring at, you know, well, the normal wage right now is 67. That's the uh, Mm -hmm. FRA, full retirement age. The maximum is 70. The youngest is 62. They might say, well, instead of FRA being 67, you now have to work till 69 before your full retirement age. Something like that. That's what they did back in 1981. And they put in a phase-in period where it wouldn't even start till 2000. So that would be my best guess, but that is just a guess because government and Congress can change like the wind and every two years people get voted in and out. Too many people depend on it, though. That is true. And in general, older people have the power of the vote because more older people vote. Congress hates to be voted out. So, yeah, more than likely. But again, newspapers love to sell headlines, love to sell stories. So they will throw headlines out that make you shake in your boots simply to make you buy the paper, read the story, etc. Okay, you've got Elizabeth. Elizabeth, hello. Hi, um, if you would. Could you please spell your last name? Tell me if you have a business and tell me if you are a certified financial planner, please. Okay. Um, I I did have a business years ago. Could I, I left- put a spelling on your last name? Oh, O-C-H-S-N-E-R. as in Nancy. Uh-huh. Okay, so O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Okay, and are you a certified financial planner? No, because that those people, basic, I did consider that at one point. Okay. Those people primarily make their income off 
skimming a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I know. Okay. okay. I, I, I just, I, I'm just wondering if you have any certification or right. business. I That's all. am a professional investor. Wow. I make my money for the last more than 20 years uh -huh. from investing. But how do you make your money from your clients? I don't. Anything I do for people, I do completely free. Okay, so if somebody comes to you and they want financial advice, you basically give free financial advice. You got it. Okay. Um, and and if we want to um, get your email, we ask for Daryl O-C-H-S-N-E-R. It's actually pronounced, it's, it's pronounced like an X. O-X-N-E-R. That's how Oxner. it's pronounced. Okay, yep. Oxner. And uh, there is no company. Okay, I appreciate correct. it. Thank you. Now, if you have any questions, let's say, or any topics that you would like to hear, please feel free. This goes for everybody to send an email to community at acb.org. Right. And simply ask your question there or say, hey, I would like to hear about this topic and right, send okay. this on to Daryl who teaches the investing yeah, class. Thank you. I just sure. thought it'd be easier with your last name. Thanks so sure, much. Sure. Okay. Cheryl. Cheryl. Can you hear me now? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Um, I've been involved with some mess, uh, investing uh, for quite a majority of my, majority Super. of my, my uh, life, my uh, parents, um, uh, were two generations older than I am. And so they, when they knew I had a visual impairment, um, they started investing early and saving early. So now that's very intelligent. Yeah. Uh, now I'm, um, having to manage myself. Uh, okay. my parents, uh, my dad was a family physician. He had his own, own private practice and he did real estate on the side. Uh, the, he focused on the, uh, low rent housing and he was successful with it. Um, but uh, I have seen it, uh, the interest go from about 10% down to uh, 2%, which it was uh, before people started coming out of, out of COVID. And uh, we opted for the municipal bonds. And uh, it was recommended, it was recommended during COVID or slightly before COVID by my financial advisor. We started looking at stocks. And so far, we've done pretty good on them. And the interest has started to come up a little bit more. And uh, we're, uh, we, we, we try to get at least four and a quarter to four and a half percent if we can. But I'm wondering, will the, will the interest rate ever go up again any higher? Okay. Now on stocks, um, it, the thing you get, say, once a quarter or once a month, depending on the stock, that is called a dividend. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that is what you're talking about, right? Yes. Um, basically, things can fluctuate. Um, it is greatly influenced by the Fed. Um, mm -hmm. So as the Fed raises interest on short-term holdings such as interest and CDs, then short-term bonds are more affected than intermediate bonds, longer-term bonds. Equities do have to usually raise dividends, at least the dividend payers, to compete with that. But the biggest 
thing on um, equities or stocks is really their evaluations known as a P.E. or a price divided by earnings. Right now, the P.E. value of the broad market, especially in the U.S., is a little bit on the high side. It's not as bad as, say, 2000, but it's a little high, which means the dividend yield is a little bit on the lower side. If we get a correction from this point, then that will make the yield go up. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't. Are you familiar with ETFs? No. Okay. ETFs. Are you? Um, when you said your advisor recommended you for stocks, do you have individual stocks or funds? Well, it's it's the large company, large company stocks like Lockheed Martin and some. Okay, of so you have individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, usually advisors try to either sell managed funds because the basically it's what's known as an expense ratio is higher. That means they get paid more. Or if you're in individual stocks, you'll see what is called churning. And churning means that they're selling stock A to buy stock B. They sell stock B to buy stock C, etc., and they will charge you each time you do that or they do that for you. What is basically the best of both worlds? First, you add stocks, then you add funds. Now, what you have, which is probably the best, is called ETFs, which stand for exchange traded funds. Those trade like stocks, meaning throughout the day. They have very, most of them have very extremely low expense ratio. And instead of buying, let's say, one stock or five stocks or 10 stocks, you can buy several thousand all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for instance, let's say, let's say, um, let's say, just as an example, let's say uh, $10,000 in an ETF with a 0.03%, that means literally you might uh, pay $3 to buy a basket of 7,000 different stocks or more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sometimes that's good. Now, there is one problem of focusing on high dividend stocks Sometimes you can end up buying or chasing the yield and you might be getting, let's say, a yield of X, Y, or Z, but the actual price, you might end up losing more than what you get in the yield, depending on what market conditions are. Yes, because when I do uh, like invest in particular with the bonds, which is what I have most of. We, we look at the interest rate, but we really look at the yield because in case, especially if they call them in early. Yes. And, and that is one of the things you face with individual bonds. You might want to consider co- at least looking at ETFs. And for instance, muni bonds, 
you can have both invest. Well, actually, you've got several, but you have investment grade muni. You have high yield muni. Um, th- those are probably the two biggest. And since you're in munis, you're probably indicating a taxable account. I hope so. Uh, uh, we're uh, we've tried to stay with tax free munis as much as we can. No, 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 no. But the yes, those tax free munis are the account they're in is a taxable as opposed to let's say a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yes, you would definitely not want munis inside of a, say an IRA, any IRA or a 401 that would be in a taxable account. That would be the best place for them. But yes, with, for instance, let's say if you own, whether it be five or a thousand different individual bonds, you literally could buy many thousands with one single ETF. Mm-hmm. And by the way, many, um, many uh, mutual fund companies such as um, Fidelity out of Boston or Vanguard out of Pennsylvania or Charles Schwab out of California, they let commission free on ETFs and most stocks. Mm-hmm. So, Does that help? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. Got it right this time. <laughs> and by the way, I don't mind yeah. repeating, explaining uh, as many times as any of you guys need. I realize that a lot of this will sound, hey, that guy's speaking a foreign language. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about my accent. Uh, <laughs> but okay. yes. There's um, so don't worry about asking over and over and over. Well, I would just like to know um, just a little bit about if you're willing to share your personal history behind how you got started in investing. Well, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I I was kind of on my own due to a a broken house in my teens. I went through two high schools uh, when I was a senior. I was supporting myself in high school. I basically said at that time I would go to whichever school paid me the most, the fastest. And I got a full academic scholarship to a university. I went there for four years. Um, I was training to go into medical research known as an MD PhD program. Um, I did get a scholarship offer to one school. Another school only had three people in it, more local. And I said, well, I'm not interested in that. And the school that was offering a scholarship had long conditions. So I said, well, I'm not interested in that either. So I ended up doing a chemistry at the PhD level, and I started with one university, and there was a visiting professor. He says, hey, you need to go to this school over here because there is a great department, et cetera, et cetera. So I transferred across the country. I started there. I finished my uh, classwork. I was in my lab work when I had vision surgery. And one eye, I lost vision in a, oh, probably two, three weeks, something like that. 
the other eye, I was I was probably oh, in my early 20s at this point, early to mid 20s. The doctor says, well, we want to do uh, what was it? Uh, protectives. I can't remember the name now, but he, we want to do, um, pro, you know, protect your other eye. So he did the first surgery and uh, the retina scarred. And so at this point, I'm literally scared and I'm all alone and I don't know what to do. And I've got this program that is immense. And so I flew across the country to go to another specialist. And basically that took away my vision permanently. Well, I should say for a month, my uh, blood filled the eye at that point. That ended that direction, my PhD in analytical chemistry. I then actually the step, the the state stepped in, said, well, you know, we'll put you back in school, but not at a doctorate level. We'll put you back as an undergrad. So I went into computer science, came out. The first job I got was that of a research science up in D.C., Um, then my next job was teaching computers to both blind and later to seniors, uh, meaning 55 and older. When that job ended, I basically looked for a job and where I live, there is a strong, um, anti-social climate against visually impaired Um, as opposed to, say, certain parts of the U.S. So at that point, I said, well, you know, I I really need an income. So I decided I had been a regular investor. I thought I knew what investing was, but I started spending, oh, 40 hours or more a week reading, studying, working, eventually teaching uh, cited individuals, both as groups and individual of investing. And that's basically what I've done for more than 20 years now. Okay. Wow. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Alan, go ahead. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, good. I'm active. Okay. Um, is this similar to the ABLE account? How does this relate to that? Um, it seems kind of related. Uh, the ABLE account has like three, um, what do they call them, vehicles, uh, whereas this seems to be more, uh, you get to pick and choose what you want. Is that correct? Yes. Um, okay. ABLE, and, and I had mentioned this at the beginning of the class, ABLE is one type of account. There's basically three levels of investing, usually. One is called a custodian. That means, for instance, let's say if I wanted to open an account at, I'll pick Fidelity. They're in Boston, but they're nationwide. Let's say I first want to have an account at Fidelity. Then the next level, now, by the way, the ABLE account is at this level, You say, okay, I want to open a Roth IRA at Fidelity. That's the second level you decide. The third level is what you put in that, we'll call it a box, you know, that account. Now, 
an able account achieving a better life experience experience excuse me that is usually the custodian there is either your state if you want possibly some state deductions or many states allow you to fund you know with a different state now you might not get let's say if you're in a high you know state with tax high state tax you know you might say open your able account at another state you know if they have better selections but you won't get the state right off the state deduction the state tax deductions so for instance like in my state um tennessee they have able accounts and you, they use vanguard funds and i believe there are 17 different vanguard funds that you can pick from did that answer the question or did i come at it at the wrong angle alan you're muted okay well let's go to your next hand cheryl Cheryl. So you can hear me now. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Uh, all right. Do, do you use JAWS? Do I use JAWS? Yes. Okay. I use JAWS now. Were you, are you asking about years ago or now? I'm asking currently. Yes, I do use JAWS. Okay. Um, I uh, do have a sighted assistant that works for me and, um, uh, my only concern, I basically I do uh, business with Wells Fargo, and um, I uh, am trying to uh, take care of things more independently. And uh, they have an app on the phone, and they also have, and of course there is the website as well. And I've had a little bit of difficulties with the website because when I need to catch something or write something, Jaws skips. Okay. Have you experienced anything like that? You mean with Wells Fargo specifically or just anything in general? Anything in general, pre pretty much. Uh, any of the websites, you know, with investors, have you had had is issues with the not, JAWS? Not that I use. Um, I personally, um, at the present, I have accounts at both Fidelity and Vanguard. Um, those are the two that I use presently. In the mm -hmm. past, I did use others, um, but those are the two that I use. I have never used Wells Fargo, so I can't really say that JAWS, you know, works better for me. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, on that, I don't have the experience because I've I've not used Wells Fargo. Okay. Also, uh, I don't know if you can ans answer this at all, but um, I uh, just unfortunately recently uh, got laid off uh, at uh, a college teaching job they had because they had changed some policies and uh, the credentials are more intense now than they were when I first took the job. That's another story. But I still have a college jo job teaching and I'm part-time, which is what I want because there's a lot you do just as much work part-time as you do full-time. In fact, a lot of times it requires more work and a lot of people would say it's not worth, you know, the time or money with the amount of, that they pay and so forth. But that, that's another story too. 
But my accountant suggested that I might want to look into uh, disability, that there is a program supposedly that I can still work part-time and draw uh, some disability. And I said, well, I don't have a problem with it. It's just that I do not want to um, be told that I can't accept this job because it pays too much money monthly. And if I were to say, I don't even know if I can qualify for the disability uh, with my income. And so um, if, well, on social security disability, SSDI, that is not income-based. Now, if you're talking about SSI, that's a different story. Yes, SSI is income-based. SSDI is not. Okay, SSDI. Because um, it's 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 very unpredictable schedule that I'm going to have. Like, I never know exactly how much income from students I'm going to have per month. I have a rough estimate, but I yes. may make more or less because the kids are pretty inconsistent this day and time. There's a um, lot of personal In your your case, with unpredictable income, as you say, you might, well, first of all, do you have an emergency fund? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Do you know roughly how many months you have? Uh, I'm in good shape. I have three accounts. We're just trying to keep it going as long as we can because I come from a long life family. Okay, sure. Sure. Um, in the long term, equities, by equity, sorry, guys, I know most of you will probably not know what equities are. Equities and stocks, you can interchange those. So if you think stocks, when I say equity, that is fine. Um, in the long term, equities by far will return, to- the total return will give far more than bonds, physical real estate, savings account, or anything else. But mm-hmm. you say, oh, what's the, what's the cost? The cost is in the short term, you probably have more volatility. And there is a traditional old standby called a 60-40. What that means is, let's say in a person who's had a professional background or they're getting ready to retire or something like that, they try to aim for maybe 60% equity slash stock and 40% investment grade bond. And the reason for doing that, that's been around for many decades, but the reason to do that is, well, you know, if in the short term, if stocks go down, Hopefully my bonds or the bond yield would, you know, kind of pick up the slack and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, um, I- I- anyway, uh, on the SSDI, um, let's say uh, I could only make so much per month and then they pay certain, uh, certain so much per month. If I were to get a job that paid say a substantial price or say doing a concert, but I wasn't allowed to make that much money. Is it possible that I could just tell the venue that hired me, uh, my regular price is blah, 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 but I'm on an early retirement program. And I would prefer that you, instead of paying me 
pay the symphony orchestra where I work. Well, I, I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to ask if I understand your question. That sounds like a question you would have to ask the individual employer. But I would think so. Not only that, let's say if you started receiving SSDI, okay, mm -hmm. and then let's say for whatever reason that SSDI were suspended, you can always pick that back up if your income drops mm -hmm. or if you hit retirement age, remember that SSDI converts into regular social security at retirement age it's 65 it depends on your age at current people's age it's actually 67 okay depending right. on how old you are well i'm 62 right now but oh, I'm, I'm okay i'm ready i'm very active okay you know and i and i have no plans of just literally stopping and doing nothing i mean uh, the fact that I don't have this other teaching job has really helped me a lot because I feel like I have some breathing room to really take care of my business. And one school is really enough, you know, in what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, actually, um, you said you're 62. That means you were born after 1960, correct? I was born in 1960. Okay. Um, I believe, oh, I should probably look this up before uh, spitting it out, but I believe the 1960 and later FRA full retirement age is now 67. Now, technically you can take social security as early as 62, but it's reduced the earlier you take it or on the flip side, you can, if you postpone it up to age, by the way, if you're a, if you come from a, a family of long lived peoples, I guess you would say, it's actually better not to take your social security until age 70, because for the rest of your life, especially if you live a long time, that will be a huge success. Okay. So wait as long as I really can to take Up out. to age 70. Now, beyond age 70, you don't get any more benefits, but from 67 or, you know, if you were older than you were from 65 to 70, or in our case, 67 to 70, it increases like 8% per year. And like I say, if you're going to live, you know, to your 90s or later, it financially speaking, it is far better to wait as long up to age 70 as possible. Okay. Now, Medicare, on the other hand, is a different story. Even if you're working and your company supplies your insurance, you want to file for Medicare Part A. That's the free part. Well, you've already paid through your, your taxes withheld, but you want Part A. That's just hospitalization. You don't file for Part B until, you know, you quit your job. And at that point, you can get either A and B plus D, which is a drug part. I don't know how much of this you know. Or financially, sometimes a lot of people and more and more are going this way, what is called Part C or Medicare Advantage plans. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit different. I didn't know if you had any interest in that or not. Well, possibly I'm open to anything because um, like I said, I love my work. Um, I am going to work as long as I'm able. 
because I really enjoy it. I teach exactly. privately. I teach privately my, in my home. I teach. I play in the symphony. I play at a church. Um, I do a lot of different. I do a lot of a lot of things. But I'm I'm very thankful for the um, breathing room. It's just that I would have if if I were to be able to qualify for SSDI, then maybe I would have some to be reinvesting. Oh, here's another thing that you might be interested in. If let's pretend, okay, let, let's pretend that you make a hundred thousand dollars a year from a job. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. um, let's say your tax bracket would be 22%. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not going to go through and explain how that doesn't mean you pay 22% on a hundred. That just means that you know, you have different levels as it goes up. Now, mm-hmm. on the flip side, let's say you have $100,000 in a taxable ad, a, um, account, okay? And let's say that, well, let's, let's just pretend. Let's say you have a million, okay? And let's say it grows for the year by 10%, which is 100000 okay? Now, of that is gains, which you don't pay any tax on until you sell, okay? The dividend part, let's say, is 2%, okay? That's only $20,000. Now, now remember, we're starting with a million. Excuse me a second. Go ahead. Excuse me. I need to stop my phone just a second. Okay. I'm sorry. Now I'm I'm starting with a million dollars, just you know, because I picked a round number. Mm-hmm. The taxable dividend portion is twenty thousand, okay. But that twenty thousand, you say, well, how much of that is tax? Does that put me in a twenty-two or or a twelve or a ten or zero? In that particular case, it would be zero. You wouldn't any you wouldn't owe any tax on that dividend if it were qualified. Okay, qualified means it's listed on a US exchange. Or you say, well, you know, what if uh, I'm married and me and my spouse are in the, let's say the 22% bracket. Okay, you know, my hu- my husband makes a uh, hundred grand, and even if I don't have any income at all, you know, total or combined income is a hundred thousand. Still that would, uh, the dividends would drop down to the 15% bracket because all qualified dividends or gains are tax advantaged, even in a taxable account. So if you're in the 15% bracket or lower, the, the uh, tax you pay on qualified dividends or capital gains is zero and only if you're 22% or higher does it drop down to 15% bracket. Does that make sense? I have to think about it a little bit. <laughs> okay. Basically, what I'm saying is when you get a dollar, let's say from your job or a dollar from a CD or a dollar from your interest account, that thing doesn't get any tax advantage whatsoever. But Let's say if you get a dividend from, I'm just going to pick a company, Coca-Cola or Apple or Amazon or you name it, Walmart, 
that dividend will not be taxed equal to your CD and your job, but actually will receive a lower tax hit, even if it's, you know, a one for one dollar. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now, if, if, of course, if your stuff is, say, in a Roth account, you can put in X dollars, it can grow exponentially. And not only will you not have to ever withdraw it, such as you will for a 401, a 403, a traditional IRA, et cetera, but when you withdraw it, you won't have to pay a penny of taxes. Okay. And that's, that's both Roth 401 as well as Roth IRA. Okay. And if any of that sounds confusing to you or anybody else in the audience, please, you know, stop me and say, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All right, Daryl, you've got about six minutes and Rosemary, go ahead. Rosemary. Hi. Hi. My question is about the Roth. Okay. Um, how, how many Roth IRAs or traditional Roths can you have? As many as your as many as your brain can deal with, um, <laughs> what the government does is let's say you have a Roth IRA at Company A, one at B, one at C, and let's say uh, let's say you're forty years old. Okay, uh, now first of all, to put money in the Roth, it has to be earned income. That means you know if Aunt Sally gave you a check for a million dollars, you can't use any of that for the Roth, but if you, you know, do any kind of income where you're reporting it, that money can go into the Roth. Okay. So let's say, let's say I'm 40 years old and this year I'm allowed to put $6,000 into a Roth. Well, I can put 2000 at company A, 2000 at B and 2000 at C. The government views that as one Roth IRA even though you and I might view that as three separate Roth IRAs. Did that answer the question? Yes. Um, so, for instance, I had a one Roth IRA and I was going to open another one, but not, not at, a, I was at a bank. Can you open Roth IRAs at banks? You can. I generally would recommend against it, but you can. And why do you say that? Because the fees. Yeah, my goal is to give you the money, not give the banks the money. And banks are usually going to charge you higher fees. And basically their products are a little bit, as far as investing goes, it's a little bit um, um, not up to par to, compared to say, either mutual fund companies or companies that specialize with investing primarily. So if you open up a Roth IRA and it's in a, like a credit union mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's just there as a savings, can you leave it right. like that? You can you do, that. do that. You, you, yes, you can. I mean, assuming that that credit union allows you know, Roth IRAs, some do, some don't, 
Um, many of them do, almost all banks do, but credit unions, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Usually you will either be limited to either CDs, savings accounts, or either managed funds, which have a high expense ratio. And what an expense ratio is, that means money that's going out of your pocket into theirs, but you don't see because it's reflected in the daily price. And that's where they kind of get you. Um, hmm. As I was mentioning earlier, there are ETFs that you can buy that have expense ratio as low as 0 0.03. Um, technically, I mean, there are, there are funds, mutual funds, which buy, you know, say thousands of different companies and they have expense ratios of a, of 0%. And you say, well, why wouldn't I get that? There's, there's a few technical reasons why I generally prefer ETFs over some of those, uh, you know, zero expense ratio funds. But let's say if you said, well, I want to open a Roth IRA, you know, at that company and get that fund, you know, yes, that would probably be better than either opening an account at a bank or or a credit union but of course you you know you can provided that that particular credit union allows or handles Roth IRAs I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity okay is that a is that a good thing or a bad thing um that uh, okay earlier I was talking about three different levels of investing um, yeah. The first level is known as the custodian. So in your case, Fidelity is your custodian. By the way, I have several accounts at Fidelity. The second level is the type of the account. That's kind of like the box. You know, where is this box going to be? And that would be a Roth IRA. The third level is what you actually put into it. And those can be funds, those can be ETFs, individual stocks, etc. So yes, that's fine. Uh, you know, since I have accounts myself at Fidelity as well as Vanguard, I cannot say, "Oh, Fidelity is terrible." No, that's not the case. In fact, they allow you to um, uh, commission-free buy ETFs as well as stocks. I, I'm confused with ETSR. I'm so okay, sorry. Okay, Daryl, I hate yes, to tell you this, but you have used your entire hour. Okay. Oh, no. So <laughs> you should come back. <laughs> okay, guys, one quick thing. Send any questions, comments, suggestions, you name it, to community at acb.org. You can, if you want to have more than once a month, we can do it. Otherwise, it'll be a month from now before we're back.